Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. I have a very special guest today, Dr. Abdullah Rothman, who is a colleague, a friend, and um, he's also a licensed professional counselor and also an instructor um, and therapist in the uh, burgeoning field of Islamic psychology. Abdullah is part of the International Association of Islamic Psychology. The link for that is islamicpsychology.org. We'll have that in the description of the show. Um, He is also part of a counseling from an Islamic theoretical orientation certificate program that will be held in Istanbul Subhattin Zaim University uh, this July 2018. The link of that program will be in the show as well as information on their website. It looks fascinating. If you're in the field or interested, uh, check that out. Registration is open. I met Abdullah last February 2018 at the Conference for Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology in Los Angeles, and we really hit it off. And uh, one of the things that struck me about Abdullah was his spiritual quest uh, as a young man and how he became Muslim. So in today's show, we're going to hear this amazing story and uh, inshallah, we'll have him back on again soon to talk about Islamic psychology as a theory and as a practice. So stay tuned for that. One week until the holy month of Ramadan, which I always say is the month of self-diagnosis, time of the year where our nafs or ourselves um, really get purified, it gets checked, and we get a better sense of what good or bad habits we've cultivated throughout the year. So inshallah, we'll be coming back with more themes on how to optimize spirituality in Ramadan. But I think this show is a wonderful start. It's also Mental Health Month here in the United States. So it's just wonderful how all this is coalescing. Hope you enjoy the show. Please don't forget to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Support the show, give generously, help us keep this running if you have benefited. And thank you for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am joined today by Abdullah Rothman. Abdullah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Abdullah Rothman, that's an interesting name. Why don't you tell us more about that name? Yeah, so that's like the um, the most recent version of my name. I have uh, actually, I have several names that I've accumulated over time. Um, so Abdullah has been with me for uh been going by abdullah for i'd say 13 years now i think um since i embraced islam uh, before that i was ezekiel wow and yeah that was for um between you know ages 29 to between ages 18 to 29 i was ezekiel uh and then before that, I was Eric. And ironically, now that I live in the Muslim world, so when I was in the U.S., I went by Abdullah. I actually went, like in my practice, uh, it was Abdullah Ezekiel Rothman. Um, and then when I came here to the Middle East, they are very into official 
documents. And so you have to go by what's on your birth certificate. So whereas in the U.S. I went by Abdullah, now that I'm in the Muslim world, I go by Eric. Subhanallah. I haven't gone by since I was you know, 17 years old. So tell us more about what you do. So I do a lot of things, but I would say the central thing that I identify with is that I'm a, a counselor um, and a psychologist, um, meaning that I study psychology, I, um, but from an Islamic paradigm. So um, my approach to everything I do really is, is seeped in that, in Islamic psychology. And that's, so I would say that's what I do. But then I have many different yeah. like um, projects and jobs and um, things going on related to that. SubhanAllah. And those of you listening, um, Islamic psychology is what helped Abdullah and I meet for the first time. A um, couple months back, we, we met in Los Angeles at a conference on Islamic psychology. And it's just such an amazing story um, and place to meet somebody. Ezekiel Eric Abdullah Rothman, you know, one day just crosses paths with Kareem Sirajuddin from different corners of the planet. And uh, what brought us together is our passion for Islam and psychology. So I just wanted everyone to know that. Uh, that's where we connected. And Abdullah shared a wonderful story with me about his journey to Islam. And we're going to get to hear that right now. So get your coffee ready. All right. Get your coffee. Basically, from a very young age, I was really um, driven by and intrigued by spirituality and, and religion. Um, but I wasn't given a religion really. I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up in a religious family. And so I had a lot of freedom to choose my own path. Um, and my, my parents weren't necessarily spiritual. And so I guess that made my, my, um, being intrigued with spirituality made it even that much more clear and um, what I was looking for because I felt like I didn't have it. You know, I wasn't given something. And so <clears throat> I sort of set out um, on this sort of um, journey of finding the truth um, and studying many different religions. And so I would do that, some by books, like I would read a lot. But also I just, I, I traveled um, and I found myself in lots of different places, basically living and practicing with people. Um, so I would go, the way that I traveled is I was, uh, I would go with like a very small day pack and I would um, just like, oftentimes I'd fly a place with a one-way ticket and really have no plan of when I was coming back. Um, and on very little budget, like I think somebody, asked, you know, I said I traveled around the world for like a year or I, I, I circled the world. I didn't necessarily go everywhere in the world during that time, but someone asked me like, wow, that must've been so expensive. And this is in like 1999. So things were cheaper, but, um, I spent in one year, I spent $2,500 including wow. airfare. <laughs> So I never, I never played for a place to stay. I don't, I very rarely paid for food. Um, I basically just would show up places and open my heart oh. to people. Uh, 
And like, I found that just by putting down this barrier of being, you know, an outsider, a lot of times people come to a place and it's foreign and they, and they, they function like a foreigner. You know, there's this like, well, I'm different, you're different. And suddenly there's this barrier that is very hard to break down because there's this conceptualization that you're on different sides or you do things differently. And so I just, I'm, I was in a really, a place of like, I don't know, I had this ability to put that, that, those walls down and really connect with people on a heart level. And so what would happen is I would get um, sort of delivered to different people. Like people would sort of take care of me and say like, oh, well, uh, I'm going here, let me give you a ride. And, and I would just find myself in these places, uh, oftentimes w- w- in the spiritual community with some wow. teacher. It was always, there was, I always found some like elder uh, teacher. So for instance, in Jamaica, I was in, uh, I lived in the hills with this Rastafarian family for a couple months. And the the guy was this old sort of, very well-known Nyabingi elder, really spiritual, not like what people think of when they think of Rastafari, they think of smoking weed and they think of, you know, just reggae music, but it's a very much more spiritual orientation. Um, And then similarly, I would do, like I went to Thailand and I found myself in the jungles of Thailand living with a Buddhist family. Um, I stayed in uh, Palestine uh, with an with a old man, and I was a shepherd for seven months. I lived in a in an open barn on a bale of hay as wow. my bed. This was a Jewish a Jewish family or a Jewish farm? Yeah, yeah, this 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 was a Jewish man, but then I also would go uh, and I would learn and study Torah with him, and then I would also travel and to like uh, other places and study with, uh, I stayed with the black Hebrew Israelites. Wow. It's a community in Demona um, in Israel. Um, so, and then I also spent a lot of time with a, a Hindu, this guy Baba Haridas, and I studied uh, pranayam, breathing and yoga. Um, so this was, this is over like, I'd say from age 16 to all the way to um, 25 or something like that. Wow. So how did you manage to get all these excursions and adventures like between age 16 and 25? Are we talking like summer vacations or you would take a year off of school? I mean. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, in between I took a year off. So I would, I would travel like in the summers. uh or in between uh, high school and college, and then in college I would I would travel a lot, and then in between college I took a year before I went and did my master's in psychology. Um, and I, like I said, I, I spent very little. You know, I would I would work. I was always working uh, and saving up money to go. But then also there's the reality of the fact that I grew up in a privileged situation where I was able to 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 travel that much. You know, just a, that I had the privilege of having parents that would allow and encourage it, and that I had just, you know, the money when I worked, I didn't have to provide for my family. I would work and save that money for myself. And 
uh, and this was really just a priority for me in life. So that's great. So it's fascinating, Abdullah, because you started off by saying, you know, from this age of sixteen on, there was a part of you that recognized on some level that there is something called the truth, right, with a capital T, because nowadays that is not necessarily um, clear or obvious to a lot of people. Like, you know, truth is more relative. There is no absolute truth. But there was something back then or during these years of your life where you recognized there was something you were looking for. Can you tell us more about that? Like, that's a very interesting drive just to have. Like, why leave your life and wherever you were and decide, I want to go travel and find the truth? Like, what did that even mean to you back then? Like, was it a true religion? Was it true philosophy? Was it finding if there is a God or there isn't? I mean, tell us more about what prompted you to be so adventurous and, and cur curious. Yeah. I mean, now looking upon it, I, I can't say that there's, I think... Allah just put that in my heart. You know, I, I, I couldn't explain how I had a sense of the truth, but it was like this innate, um, you know, almost like compass inside, inside of me that just knew when something was in line, in attunement with like um, what, how it's supposed to be and when something was out, out of alignment. And I, and I wasn't searching for God, to be honest. I, I, completely 100% believed in God. Um, I would. I used to say, I, I don't believe, I know, like Carl Jung said at one point. Um, it was just, to me, it was like an, a, an absolute reality, but I didn't have a way of, I didn't have like a dogma attached to that. You know, it wasn't a God that was given to me um, in some sort of structure or form or explained. It was something that I perceived and felt on a very, um, deep level of certainty. And it was at the time, you know, I was, I was really into religion because it talked about that stuff, you know, like it talked about this unseen world this unseen reality, the, the sort of, um, transcendent, um, understanding of the human experience and that there's more to life than just sort of, uh, the capitalist um, drive to, you know, sort of be happy and accumulate stuff. So, Abdullah, you studied with Rastafarians, with um, the Jewish tradition, Buddhism, Hinduism. Um, what else did you study deeply along these adventures? And after you answer that, what made you decide to, like, move on? And how come did you find truth in God with all of those different traditions uh, why or why not? Yeah, you know, I I felt like when I would be with these people and be studying and practicing with them, <clears throat> my my in, my way of being with them was as if I was one of them and like a believer of whatever it is that they believe. Because to me, I, that was true. Because in my perception, there's only I believe in one God. I believe in one truth. And so, even though there's this multiplicity. My perception was like, this is just people doing things and making sense of that reality um, in their way. And so when it, it enabled me to fully do what they're doing, because I like, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm on this path, uh, meaning this path, meaning <laughs> the path of truth and God. And so I would, um, I would be there and fully in it. 
But then ultimately the reason I wouldn't stay with with a one particular place or religion or path is that um, a couple things. I, basically, I felt like there was probably more than 75% of what what they were doing, I felt was in line with my compass, that compass internally in my heart that said, this is truth. But then there was always like a few things that were off, mostly like, you know, either culturally or theologically, the way that the people had structured and understood uh, their, you know, sort of religion. Um, and then the, the most impactful thing, what sort of sealed the deal for me of why I would move on in each place is that there would be this, there's always this um, commonality where um, there was this air of, well, if you're not doing what we're doing, then you're lost, you know, like your, your soul is not saved. Um, you know, if you're meaning like practicing our way. Um, and as soon as I felt that, tinge of exclusivity yeah. judgment yeah it's, yeah it's, it's not it's not like they were judging me it was more like um yeah it's like if this is the path this is there's one way of doing this we have determined that this is it and if you're not on that path then you know uh you can't possibly be uh being guided by god and and to me that that wasn't in line with my compass that in my truth because to me it was all about this internal uh, state and that only a, only only God can know that truth of a person's heart. And so um, as soon as I felt that, I would be like, okay, well, you're missing something. There's something you don't have there because um, you can't possibly know what is inside of me. And so um, it wasn't until... I, at that point, I basically, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to sort of conglomerate all these things into my own path, you know, take from here, take from this group of uh, this, this tradition or this religion, because this makes sense to me, I like this aspect, and put it all together and sort of um, assemble my own path. And then at that, soon after that, I... I was introduced to Islam. Like I hadn't, Islam I hadn't really, I hadn't really delved into that yet. How, how old were you at this point? Um, I was. So you're introduced to Islam at around 28, 29, and you weren't really, you never really considered it before that. No, like it hadn't, not, not, I hadn't spent time um, with it. And so, alhamdulillah, I was, I was the, the people that I was, introduced Islam by were holding it in in the right way I would say and so um, it was the first time that I felt from a group of religious people who they were doing their they were following their path they were praying five times a day they felt like you're supposed to do that you know uh, and yet the way that they were with me is that they would they allowed me to potentially be on a higher spiritual plane than they. What do you mean by that? Meaning like they they didn't have this idea that like, well, if you're not doing what we're doing, then you're lost. Then your, your, your soul needs to be saved or something like that, you know? That you're lost or that you're less, perhaps. Yeah. 
it was like you could potentially, I could potentially, even though I'm not doing what they're doing, I'm not Muslim, I'm not, I don't believe in this path necessarily, them, they were more interested in looking at my heart. And in my heart, they could see that I was like uh, uh, somebody struggling for the truth, you know? And so to, to them, that was what was most important. And they they sort of allowed that that, you know, God can know what's in my heart and that it's not really for them to know. And there's a potential that I'm on the right path. Where did you meet these Muslims? I want to go live with them. <laughs> they seem far in between these days, unfortunately. I mean, not saying they're not, they're not there, but they're out there. Mashallah, we do have a lot of wonderful people like that. But that's uh, not always the feeling that I think many people would get if they just visit a local masjid, especially as a non-Muslim who's just like curious, right? Um, I don't know if that's the type of vibe that would happen. Some places probably, right? Uh, but... Uh, seems like there's there's more work to be done but keep going this is this is really fascinating and just so beautiful to hear um yeah i think i was i was blessed to to meet to, to find islam through this way and i think you know whenever people ask like, well how did you become muslim or how did like i i didn't become muslim like a lot a lot led me to this path and so um this is the, you know I, I think this is the only way it would have i would have been able to see to see what Islam truly is, is that it, it being held in this, in this, in the right way, in, in this way. And um, um, to me, it connected with the whole, the whole reason why I was interested in spirituality in general, but, but religion or religions is that I saw them potentially as a path to, um, doing the work of um, spiritual growth, of, of self-knowledge, and, and that that work is the primary objective of a religion, you know? And so when they held that in that way, where, where they looked at me and looked at the work that I was doing internally and the, the, um, the state of my heart, and that that was more important than the behaviors or the external, um, you know, um, things that I was, uh, doing or aligning with that, that's what sort of was this epiphany for me of like, this is what I've been looking for all along is that, that religion to me wasn't the religion. I, I, I think there was a time when I was rejecting the external, the, the path because I saw so much disparity in people not holding it in the right way. You know, and so I, I was like, okay, you know, it's supposed to be about um, doing this work of self-growth. Um, but then it becomes about this external, um, you know, in-group, out-group thing. That, that just, that wasn't as important. The, for me, I always thought that the religion, the external behaviors and rituals and practices we're only supposed to deepen that that internal work on the self. Right. It's like an anchoring for your internal reality or the yeah. Which is what you see in the seerah too of the Prophet Sallallahu right? The first 12 years of the seerah was all about theology, the inner work, social justice and prayer wasn't revealed until I think 11 or 12 years in. 
right? And alcohol wasn't forbidden until after that. So a lot of the anchoring or the structure of the religion didn't happen until Medina, which is very interesting too, because it's kind of like, I think, reflecting what you experienced or what you went through. Um, so, but let me ask you this, Abdullah, because there might be some people listening going, okay, that's wonderful, but, you know, don't Muslims believe that if you're not Muslim, you're lost or sometimes even less? And what would be your Islamic psychological response to something like that? I would say that I think people get confused with what human beings have deemed the religion of Islam and the concept of Islam. Hmm. You know, I think people are, we, people tend to follow this sort of uh, non-Islamic view of religion um, where, where their approach to it is um, that it's somehow you can be vicarious, you can have vicarious salvation. And that's not an Islamic concept. There is no way that just by believing in a religion or believing in this way that your that your soul is saved that's not that's not islam that's that is some other there's perceptions of other religions like that where you know if you believe if you're a believer then that's you're good you're set um that's what's going to save you but in islam from my understanding and how i've been taught is that it's about working on yourself and that you don't you don't just get it. You don't just like um, the day that you say Shahada, you're good and your soul is saved. Right. You're, you're, you're saving your own soul on a, on a momentary basis because Islam is a state. It is not something that you just sign up for and now you get your membership card and now you're going to go to Jannah automatically. Like it's, it's work that you have to do continually and refresh this work so that your Islam is is refreshed you know you have to you be in a state of islam daily and you can fall out of islam in it from moment to moment yeah i mean muslim is a verb in arabic terms yeah right it's active it's not a like you said a state it's not fixated or static it's something that evolves as you do right and you're supposed to evolve that's the whole point because all the themes of the quran from my understanding is about you know, growth and purification and transformation and, and turning back and going, staying on the path and expanding knowledge and so on and so forth. So, I mean, yeah, it's like sometimes you do meet people who have this idea of I've signed up for the membership. I've memorized the creed. Um, I know all the answers because it's in the books or it's on the websites or this guy or sheikh said so. Uh, and that's it. There's no more else to figure out. There's no quest I like to see it as like there's no existential quest, you know, and I always like to describe the Quran as, you know, an existential text because it gives you guidance and, and nur and, and light about what existence is all about, you know, people to people, person to God, person to themselves, you know, and uh, and that's existentialism, right? How we cultivate meaning uh, and awareness and growth and, and realizing you're an ever-changing self right there's there's you're not static and this is very important because when we don't think about it in that way i think you'll see a lot of what you're describing here just kind of staying stuck with this illusion or you know i i almost kind of see it as the idolatry of islam which is something i you know have written about 
um, where Islam is no longer about a sincere relationship to the divine in this inner cultivation, but rather it can sometimes become an ego-building endeavor or a group or ethno-political you know, political, um, validator. And that's what it's about for some people, which is really sad and scary. And that's perhaps what can turn off even people who are born Muslim, right? They, they see that and it just rubs them the wrong way. And then they create this real negative association with the religion and the lingo and all this stuff. Um, and I'm wondering if you had any advice for people like that who've basically had trauma or negative stigma associated with these types of Islamic um, organizations or outlooks or, or even their own families where they're just like, I don't know if this is really what it's about because it doesn't sit right with the heart of the, the compass of the heart as you described it. Like we all have that perhaps um, indicator within ourselves. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe we have to have like a born again Muslim uh, um, organization or, or, you know, <laughs> not organization, but uh, designation. Um, because I think people need to find Islam on their own. You know, I find a lot of times people who are born into Islam, they hear my story and they're so inspired by it. And it's like, whoa, like, how did you, you know, you went through all these things um and 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 chose islam in a in a world and in a family and that was not not only not encouraging it but opposing it and so i think people need to do that i think people need to seek um to a certain degree i'm not suggesting you know people are given islam as a huge blessing and i think in a lot of ways perhaps allah knows you know, or not perhaps, definitely, Allah knows what, what people need and gives it to them exactly and how they can handle it and what they need. But for some people, um, they're given this huge blessing of given this clear path, but they still need to do the work of understanding what that is and, and seeking that truth for themselves, you know. And I think that if they, if, if people could reorient their relationship to islam and and see it not as this thing that if you don't do these things you will then be lost and see it more as okay these are guidelines that will help you deepen your own personal work but it has to be reframed as like that it's work you have to work on yourself that's what the whole religion is 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 based on essentially it's about um learning to know yourself and that you and knowing God is through knowing yourself, knowing yourself is knowing God. And that, um, if there isn't, if they don't embark on this journey of, of self-reflection and, and, and self-knowledge, then you really, you're not, you don't understand Islam. You're not really practicing Islam in the way that it was, that of why it was given to us for, you know, you're, you're like, um, you've embraced the external things that are supposed to deepen that work without actually involving in that journey internally. Right. Almost like we got to see it as a toolkit or an instrument to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the divine, rather than see it as kind of its own end product. Right. It's like it's that's that's how a lot of people may approach it. It's like Islam is an ends to itself. It's like its own ends product. It's like, no, it's. The, all of that knowledge that you study 
uh, and the tradition and the people that have gone forth, all we're really reading and learning about is how they've done their own inner work using Islam, right? I mean, when you read things like Abu Hamd al-Ghazali and, and Ibn Sina or Ibn Arabi or whoever you're interested in from, from the past or the contemporary, I mean, a lot of that brilliance is about how they reflected and expressed and found Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Islam as a toolkit or as an instrument, you know? And uh, and it's like Mona, my teacher, said, we, we busy ourselves too much with learning about the legends of our deen instead of becoming our own legends by using the same exact tradition that they did. Yeah, or, or we take this approach where we, uh, we look at those legends and we just sort of put them on this pedestal instead of, instead of emulating them. You know, it's like, um, uh, again, this, this vicarious salvation. Like, it's like, okay, well, if you just look to Jesus as being you know, the savior, then like, that's all you need to do. But instead of like, no, I think, I think we were, I think Isa alayhi salam even would have said himself that the whole point is to emulate, emulate this behavior. And so this is what Islam gives us so beautifully in the sunnah is that we're supposed to emulate the prophet uh, and not just, you know, read about him and say, wow, mashallah, he was so perfect and amazing. It's, and then I tell people this sometimes, they're like, well, I could never be at that level. Like, no, you can't. You'll never be at the level of the Prophet, at least that's some. But that doesn't mean you don't try. The whole point is that you have to um, use that as a goal or as the, the potential that we have as human beings. Then you emulate. You, you, you do your best to align yourself with that model. That's all it is. So, And this is exactly... How I came to Islam is was through psychology, and this is sort of where psychology comes to in it to it with me is that I I had just first of all when I when I was looking at all those religions, it was from the lens of this understanding of psychology as um, the the study of and of the the soul or the self, and uh, and then this path of growth, self growth. Uh, self-knowledge and that that's to me what psychology was and that's what I thought all religions were really at their core and so after I've completed my master's in psychology all my whole time I was doing my psychology western psychology study I was always uh inserting God and spirituality into it all because to me it was like a um it was like a conventional way of talking about the, the, the heart of what these spiritual paths are for is working on the self. Um, and so it was through looking for a system of spiritual development in a religious context or in the context of God, I would say, that I found Islam. Um, I was actually looking for like literally looking for like a science of the soul that I could apply to my practice of psychology. And that's how I found Islam is through really this, this, uh, science of the soul. And, uh, and then it all sort of came together for me spiritually and you know, everything I was looking for was all contained in Islam. And then simultaneously the sort of way that I wanted to practice and understand psychology was contained in Islam. And so for me, 
it's very, they're one and the same, you know? Um, I see, I see Islam through the lens of psychology and I see psychology through the lens of Islam. Beautiful. How are we doing on time, brother? Should we, we've, yeah, it's, we've been going about 40 minutes. So, um, did you want to talk more about Islamic psychology and, and, uh, the importance of it? And then we can go into our closing segment. Okay. So, Brother Abdullah, you are one of the individuals that I know who is dedicated, passionate about Islamic psychology as a discipline, as a practice, and you're working on your own um, you know, research regarding this subject matter. But I'd love to hear more about why you believe Islamic psychology is important in our times, and especially for Muslims. Um, this is something that I think you and I have discussed about how it's kind of lacking from the curriculum of, of some organizations, not all, but some. And it isn't something that you would normally hear about at like the local masjid, right? Um, as like We actually have a, a discipline of Islamic psychology or ilm al-nafs. And now, of course, mashallah, we're getting more kind of um, traction with Muslims, especially in, in the United States and, and, and elsewhere, kind of going into schools of, of psychology and, and getting degrees, becoming therapists, this and that. But they are, of course, studying from a Western paradigm, which has, of course, its benefit and, and its use. But there's also a lot of paradigm um, building blocks, if you will, that begin from the beginning uh, with very different ideas or conceptions of reality, and of course, what it what is the human condition? What are the parts of the human condition? What is considered healthy or unhealthy, pathology or not, etc. So, do you do you find that as a Muslim community, uh, especially in 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 the West, because that's where we're from, uh, we need Islamic psychology as a real discipline, as something that we can provide for our community as a way to heal. Um, uh, the specific uh, members of our community, why or why not? Yeah, I think for me, it's so much broader than I think a lot of people are used to thinking about psychology or mental health as a field. Um, because oftentimes it's seen as um, it's for people that really have major problems and aren't like high functioning, right? And so for me, there, there's, a, there's definitely a way to um, treat, I would say, or address that issue within the Muslim community through Islamic psychology. But if we were to bring it even wider, I would say that, uh, and sort of building off of what we were talking about in terms of, uh, you know, Islam being this really path about self-knowledge and having to do the work, you know, Allah does not change the people until they change what is in themselves. So I think the reason why it's the, so important to bring this concept into the for for the ummah is that um, we need to look at Islam as a resource for this process of um, you know development and 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 when we look at psychology, not to not to like pathologize everything. You know, I, I see it as like a spectrum. We're all sick. We all need healing. Our souls, just by nature of being in the dunya, we, the whole point is to struggle, to struggle with our soul and, and to uncover 
so that we can um, get to what's underneath in our fitra and this uh, witnessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, 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 and staying in remembrance of Him. This is the ultimate goal of life. And, and in order to uncover that and to do that work, that work that we're supposed to be doing in this life is facing ourselves, working on our nafs, working on the problems. And so it, it could be everything from just like um, being overcome by jealousy and greed and the little sort of nafsi things that, that come up in your relationships that make you have fitna between people or make you, you know, um, to somebody having an anxiety attack because they feel not grounded in Allah, you know, and they're, 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 they're grounded maybe in this dunya and, and it's throwing them out of their fitra to some more serious what we what what people in the West have has have pathologized, which is people sort of being, um, I would say, usually that's that's uh, designated as people who are not functioning in society, um, and and so that's where we have come to know of like people have real mental health problems um, because they're not functioning in society. Well, you know, from an Islamic perspective, functioning in the dunya in the capitalist system may not necessarily be the goal that we should be striving for. And so I think there's just a huge spectrum of how we can look at psychology being applicable to the whole Ummah, not just people who need, who have um, things that are getting in the way of their daily functioning, but maybe sometimes it's even more of a problem when, when it's not getting in the way of daily people's daily functioning because they've adapted to this, um, this constructed self and then really not living from a place of their fitra of really understanding and having self-knowledge and so i think that's something that we need to um address on a on a really wide scale um within the community because i think it can heal on multiple levels thank you so much for for sharing uh, so what i heard you say was really interesting um in Western psychology, there's this idea of being functional in society. So in other words, if you're meeting the needs, expectations, fulfillment of whatever the dominant pop culture, societal, you know, processes determine, right? Like you go to school, you have a girlfriend, you get a job or whatever, right? And as long as you're going through that kind of conveyor belt of social engineering, you're you're good, yeah? But you're saying also from an Islamic perspective – the soul, which doesn't necessarily find its home here in this life, just by the fact of that being in our body and having these, you know, physical or material needs, there's always some kind of attention. And from an Islamic perspective, being well adjusted to society or capitalism or wherever we live, that doesn't necessarily equate to health, right? Because you could be very successful and have all that good stuff going for you, but your heart from an Islamic perspective could be dead or really diseased, or you're not really seeing the reality of things, i.e. I. that this is all in a theater of, of divine manifestations. And nowadays, of course, we have many people that from the onslaught just say, there's none of that is real and relevant. There's no such thing as metaphysics, as God, as religion. Um, life is just science. It's about, you know, what you make of it. And, you know, this is the this is the flash of life that we all get. So 
you know, do what you got to do and, and don't feel guilty kind of thing. So, I mean, you, there is a huge spectrum here as, as you're discussing. And um, I think it's interesting that you said that as Islamic psychologists, we shouldn't necessarily just assume that treatment, quote unquote treatment, is only for people who have, let's say, some particular serious problem. But I'm also hearing you say that we need to just have healthy, we need to have psychoeducation if you will, about Edmund Nefs, about Islamic psychology, about understanding how these parts within us work. You know, Allah talks about different um, dimensions of ourselves, and many of us aren't even aware of those terms and what it implies and how it impacts us, right? Like you use the word fitra. Some people might not even know what this means, right? Or nafs or aqal or, or qalb or fu'ad. I mean, all these types of terms. Um and so, you know, I, I think that's a really good reminder that uh, that you pointed out. You know, if we're talking about Islamic psychology in the form of what we've known in Western psychology to be like, you go and you see a therapist and you go to therapy um, with this model, then I think we should we shouldn't be afraid to all assume that we need to be going to therapy because essentially we need to be working on ourselves. And often it, it helps to have somebody guide you through that process um, of self-reflection. If, you know, part of that is somebody who's trained to uh, have the tools to help you go through that process, but also having a, another person hold up a mirror to reflect to you. Because if it's, if it's just you doing it on your own, um, you tend to, to um, fall into traps of, you know, shaitan messes with you too. Like, oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. Don't worry about it. Um, or, you know, you don't see your faults. You don't see where you need to address something. And so having somebody hold up a mirror to you in that process of, of uh, Islam, you know, of deepening your Islam and being a Muslim, being in a state of Islam, of, of, of surrendering and 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 working through the places in your heart and in your soul that keep you from surrendering then like to me that's that's why we're here we're not here to like accumulate um accolades from different professional organizations and be popular and have a bank account or memorize things you know uh from books we're here to work on our soul and uncover our soul and so to me, the reason why I became a psychologist is because I want to do this. This is what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing in my life. And I do need a career. So what better way to um, try to make a, a path for myself and make a career is like helping other people in this process. And it doesn't mean that like because I've arrived, I'm now going to like show them the way. It's that I'm, I'm still doing this work constantly. I have to keep doing it. So it's, it's a joy for me to sort of um, be on that journey with other people and, and say, because I love it, because there's nothing else I want to be doing other than like uncovering my heart and, and getting in a deeper state of witnessing Allah and remembering Allah. And so uh, why, why do we have to um, exclude that to when the, only when there's major problems that get in the way of our functioning in life? You know, I don't think functioning in, in this life, in the dunya, should be our end game, sort of our measure of, of success or our measure of health. 
You know, health to me should be a much broader perspective that includes akhira. You know, like is your soul healthy? Are you are you satisfied with the state of your soul to get to that place on the day of judgment? And if not, like people think of that as like, oh well, then I need to go. You know, I need to fast more. I need to go to the masjid. I need to read more Quran. Yes, you need to do all those things, but. All those things are there to help you deepen that process of uncovering what is covering over your uh, fitra state in your soul, in your heart. And that takes work. That takes looking at yourself um, and holding up a mirror. And, and so why, why, why can't we all um, you know, benefit from that process? Why, why are we secluding it only to people who have quote-unquote problems? I think we need to reframe that and recognize and accept that we all have problems. You know, we, we, we have lots of problems and we need to be, we need to be um, encouraged to, to admit that and, and sort of, you know, have the, have the understanding that, that that's, that's part of the process of being human. That's part of the human condition. Abdullah, it's been amazing to hear your journey to Islam and um, the passion you have about Islam and psychology. And, you know, may Allah bless you and your family and all that you do. And we're going to close out our conversation with Kareem's five fun questions. Are you ready? Question number one, Abdullah. If you could have a free pass to eat at this type of cuisine for a year, which one would you want to choose? What cuisine? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was Ethiopian. Really? Yeah. That might because, be because I had Ethiopian food with my wife yesterday for her <laughs> birthday. And it was amazing. <laughs> but it's what, that's your favorite. Can I give you three? I'd say Ethiopian, Jamaican, and Japanese. MashaAllah. That's, cool, that's a cool mix. All right. I'll give it to you. That sounds good to me. All right. Question number two. If you could travel anywhere in the world next week, all expenses paid, where would you want to go? See, the all expenses paid part sort of changes it. Because uh, I would have said, I would have said Medina or or Sudan, because for me, Medina is just sort of spiritually <clears throat> where I would go in general. But Sudan is really my spiritual place personally. That's where I feel like my spiritual family is. Um, but I don't need money there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Okay. So either Medina or Sudan, mashallah. Question number three. Uh, if you could be any animal for a day, which one would you want to try? I feel like I'm not answering any of these just straight up, but I, hopefully that's okay. Uh, my favorite animal is a lion. Uh, but I don't necessarily think I would want to be a lion for a day because that would be... <laughs> Seems like I would be, I would feel lazy. Like I don't like laying around. I like, I like doing stuff and moving around. So I think it'd have to be a bird of some sort. You're such a psychologist, dude. <laughs> All right. How about this? If you could have a cup of coffee with any Muslim from the past besides the prophets or the companions, do you have one specific that you can think of? If not, then. I'll let you choose a companion or a prophet. I can't remember his name. It's like Baba Boop something, but he, he's the supposedly the guy who brought coffee to popularity. I think in Yemen. Um, so you know, coffee was originated in Ethiopia, and then it was discovered there. But then it was really brought to the world in Yemen. And I, from what I understand, 
he was uh, he was a Sufi uh, sheikh, I think, um, who basically they would drink coffee to stay up at night in in Dhaka. and so um, I would want to drink coffee with him because it's like the origins of coffee, and I would like to know sort of like what what was going on at that time that that you know it was used in this like this this aid to a spiritual practice and how it's given birth to this sort of uh in some ways mindless like um drug addiction culture uh and so the the the, the connection with that bringing it back to that spiritual place would be really really fascinating for me yeah, episode three of the Coffee with Cream podcast called Wine of Islam and Sufism. And I talk a bit about the history of coffee and uh, this this order that used to practice the uh, coffee and in their ceremony of, of dhikr, if I, if I recall correctly. But yeah, very fascinating. Okay, question number five, Abdullah. If you could have one superhero power, which one would you want and why? Okay, I think my superhero power that I would want is... Yaqeen. Ooh, that's a first. Because I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why it's a super, or I conceive it of, of it as a superpower, is if you have Yaqeen, which means certainty in, in Allah, like basically this absolute 100% knowledge that Allah is the one, and, and this witnessing of Tawheed, then my belief is that if you were standing in that Yaqeen, you would have all of the superpowers available to you. Because they, you know, all of these things like uh, reading minds and flying and, you know, all these things are things that we think of as superpowers because they're beyond what we, the limitations of the physical world. And if you, I believe that the only thing keeping us from doing those things is yaqeen, is having certainty in, in Allah. And, and if you had that, I believe you would be able to walk through walls and read minds and fly and all of these things. So, yeah, uh, Yaqeen man, I guess, would be mine. SubhanAllah. <laughs> I'm wondering how many people think the psychologist is crazy now. <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the carpenter's door is always broken. Right. <laughs> no, but I totally, I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, that's a beautiful... That's the first time I heard anyone say that, so... Bravo for the originality, but yaqeen, the certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being so grounded, so connected, so anchored in the divine power, which is unlimited and can do anything and change the atomic structure as we know it, yada yada. That is, like you said, it's like that's you plugging in to everything and everything can be, you know, altered or changed when you're connected to that source you know i so from that perspective of course yeah it makes a lot of sense the only thing keeping you from that in this separation is this uh you know feeding into this illusion that that we're separate and that we're and that we're bound by duality in this dunya you know but everything is one it's all tawheed so essentially it's accessible dr abdullah thank you so much for your time today and your insights and um I hope, inshallah, that uh, God blesses you and your efforts and your journey moving forward. And uh, thanks again for your for your valuable time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks for for having me. Next time, I would like to have actually have coffee with you in in person. <laughs> That's wicked cool, man. Yeah, inshallah.
Karim Sirajuddin here. Thank you for tuning in. Please visit NurHuman.com to learn more about how I provide personal, spiritual, and relationship counsel. Please generously help sponsor the show to keep on going at Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem. That's Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem.